your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me in studio on this lovely Friday to close out the week in style is my good buddy Thomas Drans. Tom, second appearance for you on the PDO Cast this week. It's a busy week, man. It's been a Let's good go. Week. Yeah, it's been a great week, actually. So here's a here's a little peek behind the curtain. I was initially planning on coasting smoothly into the all-star break doing a little fantasy show to help people with their fantasy lineups and everything and 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 all that good stuff and then we had a bunch of news on this friday morning that were big league-wide stories and it's not even all-star stuff it's not the olympics thing is obviously a big deal and the best on best and all that but we're going to focus on more pressing nhl topics yeah sean monahan trade we're going to touch a little bit on the last Lindholm trade now that we've had 48 hours to sort of marinate on it and we're going to talk about the kings making the coaching change as well let's start with the Monaghan stuff, because I've got a lot of thoughts on it. Some might argue 32 or more thoughts on it. I'm not sure. We'll see how many we can get through, but uh, I've got a lot of... I have so many thoughts on this, we're going to get sued. (laughs) 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 Fair. Oh, you know what's so good? Last time you and I uh, made a whole bit about how we limited ourselves to talking about like five teams instead of all the East teams we wanted to cover because we're known for going too long on stuff. We're a little long-winded. And then in the Discord server for the PDO cast, people started making jokes about how like, oh, I can't wait for the trade deadline show when you guys talk about two trades. <laughs> uh, and so, you know what? They're not wrong. No. But let's see uh, Let's see how luckily, much we can get Luckily, we actually can just talk about two trades and a coaching change today. There we go. That's perfect. That's actually well-suited for us. Show. Yes, this is a good formatting. All right, let's start with the Jets because they are holding on a first in the Central right now by point percentage. It figures to be an absolute slugfest between them, the Avs, and the Stars in the final 30 games for that number one seed. All of them are on pace for over 110 points right now. And I think the need for them to add a viable top six center with like legitimate playmaking chops was obviously always going to be a pressing issue, even at full health. But I think the fact that we saw a couple games of them having to go at it without Mark Shifley available mm. really expedited that and kind of cast this like nasty spotlight on it, right? Because in the final two games before the break... They were running this, I mean, they've been running the Lowry, Niederreiter, Appleton line yep. full season, but that became like their go-to five-on-five line where they were playing most out of anyone. Yeah. And then they were running Vlad Nemestikov between Ehlers and Connor. They were Kupari, using Kupari. My guy, Kupari. I mean, there was some Dominic Toninato there centering Velarde and, uh, and Perfetti. It really kind of showed you that this is a big deal. Now, the Lindholm trade earlier this week, I think they were a team that was going to be in on it, certainly. And that he got off the board, it really limited, I think, or shrunk down the market for players who fit this bill, especially in terms of rentals, right? We can get into like that middle stat, Boone Jenner, Scott Lawton, uh, even Trevor Zegers, if you want to throw him in there, like tier of centers who are theoretically available for the right price. But all those guys are under team control beyond this season. Although that's usually a plus for Winnipeg. No, it certainly is. But I'm just saying like if you had talked yourself into this type of center, right? right, like kind of top six center with legitimate offensive ability, it's a pretty small list. Uh, right. And so with Lindholm off the board, it pretty much shrunk down to Henrik and Monaghan. And so I think that kind of expedited this process. I'm kind of curious for your take on this and just sort of the grand scheme of, of everything involved. Can I start by asking you a question? Yeah, of course. Should the Jets have been willing to get outbid? Y- yeah. You think so? Yeah, because I think both you and I, are, as we talk our way through this are gonna i think the takeaway is gonna be we don't love especially the price they paid that's what i'm saying um but should they have allowed themselves to get outbid on lindholm and fall back to this to me given that they paid what 
60%, 70% of the price that the Canucks paid for Lindholm. I mean, it depends on your mileage on on the defense prospect the Canucks gave up, but also you have to factor in that they did not take like they money did not, back. Yeah, That's what I'm exactly. saying. So it's like you know, it might be even more than sixty or seventy percent, honestly. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. I mean, the biggest trade chip that Vancouver gave up was the first. There's a conditional pick involved in both. The Canucks give up two extra prospects, but you know, one of them is a project, right? And the other is is a really good prospect, but they also get five and a half million dollars of cap space. So it's like, yes, Bruce Devich makes. The Canucks package more valuable, but the five and a half million in flexibility is is also value netted by Vancouver in this deal. Lindholm's just a lot better fit for Winnipeg, especially right for for the way that Winnipeg plays, especially. I feel like the Lindholm fit would have been well worth the the cost of outbidding Vancouver, which granted was probably at least Brad Lambert or something, right? I mean, not not yep. insignificant, but yeah, I mean, I. This feels like a responsive trade. You know, it feels like the market got set. They didn't want to run out of options. They fell back. And and I just worry about like a player in Monaghan who I think at his peak before the injuries was this really interesting sort of down low scorer. You know, he, he, he consistently shot this highly efficient rate, and it was because he was the best garbage man in the league, right? right. Just like from in tight, off of rebounds, net front stuff, he was sick. He hasn't really gotten back to that level, although he's been productive in 60-ish games in Montreal. I, does he take too much speed off the table for the Jets? Like, can you play him with Perfetti? Does that put too much stress on Nikolai Ehlers to do most of the heavy lifting through the neutral zone? Um, I, those are my concerns. I just don't love the fit. Well, his that's I had some notes on that on his like second half of his career, I guess, transformation, right? Post injuries, this version he's become because you're right. When he came into the league as a teenager, he was one of the best bets in the league, I think, to be like 30-ish goals. And oh, yeah. Shooting around like 15%, right? Totally. On an efficient rate. Like for years on end, he was that player. I, th- and then I now, thought he was going to be like the next Ron Francis without the passing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because now so much of his value used to be tied up in that, yeah. right? And then now he's sort of become this player where if you look at a lot of the the micro stats and all the tracking that's been done by Corey Schneider, he essentially doesn't do much. And the only categories he's like 60th percentile or better are in-zone shot assists, primary shot assists, high danger passes, and primary assists. Yeah. Like he's transformed himself into, into actually being more of a playmaker. Yeah. And I think that's not... I think that's going to be useful for this Jets team because they certainly have shooting talent, right? Regardless of how they use them, particularly on the power play, right? I think a lot's been made of the fact that Monaghan has 13 goals, 35 points, but most of it, like I think over half of it has come on the power play. And that's been used as a negative in terms of weighing that production. But in this case, that's actually been a weakness for the Jets, right? right. I think they're 24th in the league in power play efficiency. And so adding a guy who can actually make some plays and maybe set up some more dangerous looks is actually a feature for them right. in this case. The issue for me is we're going to get into the 515 stuff, but we haven't really actually seen them because of a variety of injuries get to use their best players on the power play. Right. Right. Like we've seen 20 minutes this season in total of Velarde, Shifley, Connor, and Morrissey, who are like their four best offensive players. And I'd love Nikolai Ehlers to be the fifth guy there. But even if he's not, we just haven't seen those four. And when they have at the start of the year, they were really good. And so 
the power play has been a massive negative this season, but we also haven't seen the real version of what it could be. You're so worried. I don't want to be like, we should just put all our eggs in fixing that when it might not actually be your biggest pressing issue. You're worried they paid retail price to solve what might be a phantom problem. Yeah. I think that's completely reasonable. Um, I'm, cu- I'm curious, like, before he got hurt last year, the 20, what, five games he played for Montreal? Yep. I did really like his fit. Mm-hmm. With Josh Anderson. Yeah. Now, Anderson, I think, has performed poorly this year. And those two as a duo haven't been nearly as effective as they were when it was like the good vibes Canadians to open sort of the St. Louis era yep. um, in the fall of last year. But, you know, like I have seen some games where he plays an area game with like Tanner Pearson and, you know, uh, compliments... Brendan Gallagher, who's not exactly the neutral zone driver that he used to be, um, ably. So I, I do think there's at least there's some possibility that he could. I, I like I can see in my mind's eye him and Cole Perfetti, for example, being like a good complement in terms of being like battle winners who are both smart. Um, you know, almost like that very poor man's version of O'Reilly Perron. Right. You know, I could see them being sort of um, interesting complements within the context of, like, once they're over the blue line, you might see them be able to sustain some heavy shifts and even create some interesting looks out of that. I just, yeah. Well, and I know they've the been, they've been much better off the rush as a team and mm-hmm. both ends of the ice, but, like, part of what makes this Jets team so, like, what makes it tick, I think, is that kind of cutting the ice down and dominating down low yeah. with, like, the size of a lot of their players. I think he'll help there. And all that. So it'll, certainly I think he'll fit into that. I think it's interesting because... Part of this resurgence by them this season and why I think they've actually been really good beyond like getting great goaltending and the mm-hmm. defensive numbers is they've totally transformed the way they play in terms of like they're getting so much more support in particular from their wingers doing a heavy lifting, kind of like Florida does. And then that's allowed their defensemen to be more aggressive. Right. And so all of that's kind of come into play. And now so if you throw Monahan into this, as long as he's supported by the right foot speed of wingers, I think it actually could work in the grand scheme of things. Like, I don't think he'll take that much off the table there. Um, especially if he is, like you're saying, with Ehlers, because, like, yeah. Ehlers is made to do that heavy lifting in totally. terms of puck transportation and just get it into the offensive zone and then let Monaghan kind of arrange the chess pieces after that, right. right? So I think that, like, I think that certainly makes sense. I guess my issue just here is, is is the price. And I was a bit surprised, maybe I shouldn't have been, to see Winnipeg give up that first, right? Because we've talked about in the past when they've been in this position, they traded a first for Paul Stasny, they traded a first for Mm. Kevin Hayes, but they've also been an organization that I think for obvious reasons of values, cost-controlled, like team-controlled young players. And I think that's probably why. And they've also done really well for the, like, I know, like the Logan Stanley pick, and there's a few misses there, Veselainen and so on and so forth. But like, they generally drafted pretty well, especially in the middle to back half of the first. And so it's strange to see them, I guess, give up that pick for this caliber of player, but maybe that just speaks to that sort of desperation or response that you uh, mentioned off the top. Yeah, I also think the fact that they've made so many picks, I mean, this is, isn't a team that's been contending the last few years, right? So it's not like they came out. I, I wonder if from Winnipeg's perspective, especially thinking that this team might be a little bit ahead of schedule, if like keeping your Barlow, McGrody, Lambert, uh, Solomonson class guy. Yep was valued more highly by them than the draft picks. And and that's the other thing that I think we're going to see as this deadline approaches. You know, 
teams are going to try to hold on to prospects. I, I think the industry is somewhat low, and in my opinion, actually lower than they should be, on what the late first round looks like mm-hmm. this class. Yep. There's more excitement about next year. Uh, I'm told that you know a lot of seller teams are like really trying to push to get those 2025 firsts, and obviously teams don't love to leave their costs unfixed, yep. take that big swing risk uh, should things go sideways on them next season. So I, I think they're going to be hard-pressed to do that, but that's something we're going to see. And teams are also valuing prospects uh, almost as highly, if not more highly, than draft picks or than late firsts this year, and that's sort of a, a bit of a reversal, certainly a reversal from the market 12 months ago, and just some trends to monitor and, and some trends that might ultimately have shaped what we saw here, where Winnipeg perhaps was far happier to give up their late firsts and, and really prioritized holding on to their prospects. Well, and contenders with players already making a bunch of money at the top of their lineup should be treating it that way because those players they've already drafted and developed are much more likely to be fast-tracked towards like being valuable ELC contributors for them within the next couple of years as opposed to a guy who you still haven't even picked. It's such an unknown in that regard. Um you know, good for Monaghan. I want to frame it through that because like he's going to be 30 in the fall and his body has been through a lot the past couple of years. And yep. so the fact that he's actually been able to play every single game this season and produce at a level he has is like, is a cool story. Right. Um, I also think though, cause I've seen people say, well, why with the market being so small for this type of player, why wouldn't the Canadians wait till closer to March 8th to sort of build up dream, uh, desperation and kind of drum up a bidding war between New York, Boston, whatever teams are It's a good plan interested. on paper. But we just saw it last year, right? Yeah. Like, first couple months, it was like, Monaghan, I think they might be able to get a first-round pick for him or a good prospect because he's he playing hurt. well. And then he gets hurt, doesn't play after December 5th or whatever. And for a player with this track record and this much mileage and various injuries he's accumulated... I think for like whatever marginal gain they could have gotten in terms of waiting for that return was not worth inheriting the risk of that gain of that return being a zero if he gets hurt again. This is a slam dunk return. Yeah. Like this is a really, you know, like if we were going to do a winners and losers of this trade thing, like one of the winners I think would be the Anaheim Ducks because you're sitting on Adam Henrique and surely Henrique's going to be able to get more than this. Like, this is now your floor for Adam Henrique. And if you had told me two weeks ago that Adam Henrique was going to get a first and another pick, I would have said, hmm. you know, good for good for Anaheim, good for Verbeek. Yeah, I would have as well. I think that, that the market angle of this is so fascinating, right? Because all it takes is well-placed intel to get a... Think, get the ball rolling a little bit, right? And mm. I think the the fact that we're in all-star break now and we see this at the draft, we see this at these events where GM meetings where like everyone gets together in one locale, it facilitates a lot of conversations and kind of expedites this process sometimes. So it might've happened anyways, but it was interesting. Like, what was it? A week ago or two weeks ago, you got like Frank Cervelli tweeting about the market for Monaghan and the interest league-wide and how like they're going to get back a first. And there was a lot of pushback to that. And all of a sudden you get to this point where that's happening. And I had someone on the Discord ask an interesting I appreciated question. Cervalli's dunks today. Yeah. Quote tweeting himself with the check the receipts yeah. was, was hard earned. I liked it. Well, someone on the Discord asked, do teams ever express interest in a player just to run up the price for a competitor? And my answer was, you'd like to think so, but I actually think no. Because a lot of the 
conversations I've had with people working for teams in various um, various roles, I think fans would be surprised to know like how preoccupied they are with their own operation, mm-hmm. right? Like so much of the time and energy, unless you're like a pro scout who's exclusively just gathering intel on yeah, other teams away and other players. Team. Yeah. If you're like someone who's working with a team, especially on a day-to-day basis, you have almost vision. have such tunnel vision yeah. for like, even like menial things that are happening within your team structure on a regular Tuesday that you're almost not, you're not paying attention at all to what's happening around the league. Right. Yeah. And so you'd like to think that like that 40 chess approach of like, let's get one of our competitors. If we're, if we're the avalanche, let's get the jets to pay more because we're battling for first in the central. And then maybe we'll like, 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 like that. I just don't really think in practicality, it actually works like that. I, I also think in maintaining relationships, everyone's looking to like make fair deals and not mess with people. You know, like the problem with bidding on a package you're not actually interested in is if you get the call back from your colleague and they're like, yes, we're in. Right. And you're like, ah, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) oh, I wasn't (laughs) expecting that. Yeah. Like there's a real risk at auction, right. That you put your paddle up and and win the, the painting you can't afford. And I, you know, I think when, that happens in real life, it costs you money. But when it happens in this scenario, it costs you credibility with a colleague. And that's something that can harm your options down the line. So, you know, I, I think there's a more cooperative flavor to trading. It's obviously competitive. It's a, it's a poker game. But there's a cooperative veneer mm. on it that I think shouldn't be underrated and um, sort of face value offers and, and how rare it is to get ones that aren't. I mean, as someone who does fantasy football auctions every every year i know that sweat all too all, oh yeah, too, yeah. Oh, you're trying to price enforce <laughs> you're like i don't even want this player or need him but i can't let my competitor get him for this cheap and then you you click that extra dollar and then you're like please keep going please keep going. don't don't have me picking up the tab here um you mentioned the jets kind of whether they would have been better off not getting involved with this it's only the last time we spoke a couple days ago we were doing our Eastern Conference Bear vs. Bull case and we talked about the Rangers. And I was like, I actually, there's a lot of smoke about Monaghan to New York. And I was like, I really don't like that fit because they, mm, they need he's to be almost the opposite of, of the player they type need, they yeah. need. They need a lesser name. I don't care about their production. Just someone who can provide a lot of the things that he can't with that foot speed. And someone who does not need to touch the puck. Yeah. Because a lot of players on the Rangers need to touch the puck. Yeah. Like they need some, they need... We were we were talking about this the other day off off uh, mic, but the Rangers added Vetrano and Mott, two undersized guys who don't need the puck, who can skate fast and have some like one shot scoring ability to punish mistakes. And it was like, oh, they're in the Eastern Conference Final. They're punching so far above their weight. Yeah, and it's like they learned none of the lessons from that success. Yeah, I really can't understand it. It's that's what they need. They need Vetrano and Mott, and luckily for them. That's like not a difficult player type yeah. to get affordable. As long as you know that that's what you need. As long as you know that that's what you need and you're confident that you can find the next version of that. Which you which should be able to, you think. Yeah. They're all over the place. Yeah. Uh, quick note on the Habs here because I think we always talk about uh, T-Bob's tidy, tidy bits of business. Yeah. And getting a future first to take the final year of his contract from Calgary yeah, 17 months ago, which was I think $6.375 million, but it was $6 million in real cash. And then he gets hurt, right? So they don't monetize it. But then they sign him to a 
eight five or whatever it yeah. was for one year, and then, and then get, get the another first. first for him and I, another pick. I should say his AAV being that low, I think, is a big part of this for Winnipeg because I think they still have like three point three million or something so they in deadline cap space. So I move. do think they'll add someone certainly, and I think they'll be in on Tanev as well. Uh, they'll be in on various. That would be a great players. fit for them. Um, but man, Sean Walker, the Habs getting two firsts out of this is Lucas. unreal and and that first they got from calgary there's a lot of logistical hoops to jump through but i believe like unless it falls in the 20 to 32 range which it doesn't seem like it will because calgary will almost certainly not make the playoffs this year i believe that pick gets deferred to being either calgary or florida's 2025 uh first and so the Habs are going to get the jets 2024 here and then that pick in 2025 is pretty great and this is how you do it. This is how you optim. If you're a bad team, this is how you weaponize your cap space, and this is how you basically buy a free asset. Now, I don't think they really care for the rest of the season because it's going to be like an audition, and there's opportunity for players to step in and earn roles on this team. But because of the injuries they have with Dvorak out, Doc out, uh, even Newhook, yeah, they basically have Nick Suzuki, and then I guess Jake Evans, and then it's like, who else wants to play center for us? We're gonna hold. Uh, we're gonna hold auditions at the Bell Center. You wanna. You wanna come play for us. So that'll be interesting to see in the final thirty plus games. But I mean, if you're gonna get this offer, like it's an absolute, well, no brainer. I mean, here's a take for you. Should they do it again? Like, Should, buy, just, like you buy buy another. Go buy a distressed. Yeah, of course. Go buy a distressed center of some kind whose value is low, and try to re- rehabilitate that value. You know, like I. I even someone like Roslovic, who's an RFA with arbitration rights, feels like given that he's at a $4 million salary, he's like 50, 50, I'd say less than that, 25, 75 to not even be qualified to be an unrestricted free agent, but he doesn't have to be. Right. You know, if if you have the space to to eat that salary and, you know, the space on your in your lineup to potentially rehabilitate his, I mean, that, what's the gap between Monahan and Roslovic? They're kind of the sim- same guy, except one's a little bigger and one's right-handed. Yeah. So... Um, you know, that, that to me would be an interesting approach to see if the Habs double down on the, on the value uh, resuscitation project that has done such, um, that they've done so well with in, uh, Monaghan's case. But it's remarkable what reputation or like your player profile can do for your stock in this league, right? Because you think of these guys and Lindholm, Henrik, Monaghan, I think they're all players who like are just universally liked mm-hmm. by teams. And so I think that helps a lot here. Whereas you're mentioning like, a, you obviously threw Roslovich out there, but like whoever else, it's not the same calculus, right? Because like then if you're trying to spin that around, rehabilitate it and then trade it, it just, it's viewed through a different lens, I guess. For, yeah, but, for, for but teams, it was but... viewed through a different lens with Monaghan when he true. was first acquired, yeah, right? That's I true. mean, well, whenever you can give up a first so that you can give Nazem Kadri $49 million, you, you have to do that. So, and to be clear, I think we both really liked the Flames before the start of last season. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm shocked. That, you know what, though? The Flames, just in general, are a good reminder that you and I can talk about aging curves all we want, but that's math. Mm. Like, in the real NHL, it's not an aging curve. It's an aging cliff. Right. You know? And it's just hard to when know. When you step off of it, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's go to any other notes on, on Monaghan or this deal. Like, we'll talk a little bit about Lindholm kind of related to this. Uh, I did a big show on it yesterday, but I, I'm yeah. going to get your take on it. But maybe we can go to break, and then we'll kind of do that at the end, depending on how much time we have. Yeah, I just want to see the fit. I mean, yeah. it's something that I need to see, I think, because, right. like, I'm really, 
I have both concerns and excitement about a Perfetti Monahan Ehlers trio, for example. Like I can see it working, but I also can see it really putting too much stress on Ehlers and holding one of the things that has made the Jets special this year back a bit. Mm. And so, like, well, I, it's, I it, it to me, to me, Dim. Honestly, it just feels like a really volatile deal. It feels like one of those where we could be looking back on it in the first round and and honestly thinking, I know this isn't the best analysis, but honestly thinking, wow, Monaghan added an extra gear to their power play. He's found this great chemistry with Perfetti. Or we could be there and Monaghan could get chased out of a matchup role and be like barely used, be a designated hitter yeah. by round one. It just feels like a, a huge swing. And maybe the Jets needed that, but I, I, I would have seen them swing in a different direction. Especially with, with, giving up a first round pick, even if you don't value it as much as some of the prospects you have, like there's still a certain level of name brand value attached to that. And and a floor. Like, okay, he might not be, he might not add a gear to our first line, but at the very least, he's going to stabilize our third. This to me feels like a bet with no floor. And that's what concerns me about it. Well, I'm not sure about that. Like, I think, I mean, I think there's serious risk purely because he could very easily get hurt. I mean, that's true for a lot of players, but I feel like he has more inherent risk for that because of his history. I do think regardless of the concerns about the foot speed and and the fit, they were asking players who simply do not possess the talent level to play in scoring roles with players who desperately need someone who can at least think the game on that level. Mm. Like you just cannot use Vlad Nemesnikov and I like the player, yeah. But to center Nikolai Ehlers and Kyle Connor and expect that to work, yeah. And Monahan can at least you can't that even level. even Adam Lowry. I don't want him playing that role, right? Like, you, don't get me started about like putting Dominic Toninato in there. Like, no. So like, I get it. Like, he'll be able to fit in on that in that way. But it, I do think it is a bit of a risky move. So yeah, I think that's why we uh, super volatile. We do it the way we did. All right, let's take our break, and then when we come back, we will switch gears and talk about the Kings making a coaching change. You're listening to the Hockey PDO Cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we're back here on the Hockey PDO cast, closing out the week with our pal Thomas Drance, who I lured into the studio, threw up the bat signal once. Initially, the Monaghan news came out, and I was like, all right, maybe I should do something about this. And then we got the Kings coaching change shortly after, and I was like, Tom, get in here. We need to talk about this before you do your show. So we're going to talk about the Kings firing Todd McClellan, the timing of it, and what it all means. Here's a fun stat for you. Rick Tockett is now the 20th longest tenured coach in the league. Dave Haxtall, 8th. Yeah, it feels like the expansion <laughs> draft was yesterday. I know. It's two and a half years into the Kraken's existence. Unbelievable. 8th longest tenured. So since the holiday break, the Kings, I think it's been well documented, are on this 3, 8, and 6 skid. Only Chicago and Minnesota have a worse point percentage at that time. Uh, in that period of time, what is kind of making it so much worse for them is the fact that the Oilers went 14-0 and during this winning streak they're on, and the Canucks went 10-2-2, and and these are teams that they're going to be judged up against, right? Mm. And so we're at this point now where it's almost mind-blowing to actually wrap your head around it, where on November 25th, LA was 16 points up on Edmonton, and both teams had played 19 games. Since then, they've played three fewer games than the Oilers. or No, the Oilers have played three fewer games, sorry. And they've gained 19 points on them in that time. It's We always talk about how tough it is once you dig yourself a hole to make up ground because there's so many three-point games and it's just so impossible to meaningfully gain ground. And yet here we are in a short period of time, those have done just that. I think here's the issue. Because in that period of time, 
the Kings are 31st in shooting percentage, and I think it's going to be pointed to whenever there's a coaching change. You look at that, and you're like, hmm. Yep. And now a new coach is going to come in, and what are they and it'll bounce percentage? back. Uh, the same percentage has been lower, certainly. I don't think it's like bottom. I don't think it's 31st. Like, so, what's your what's your time frame? Uh, since January last year. Well, it's, it's the holiday break. So it's okay. December 26th, the last time I'm doing whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the... Like in in the month of January, they were something like, uh, you know, nine oh six at five on five. It's right. like you can't survive that. Well, you can if you're scoring any goals. That's true. And, <laughs> you and, can't you can't survive that when you're shooting six percent. And sure. I think that's the issue, right? Because you could make you could paint this case depending on on which side you stand on that they deserve better, and I think they certainly do. Oh, yeah, at five on five, eight nine eight yeah. save percentage, five point nine shooting. I mean. You can't, you can't survive that. There's no way. You, you, there's no way to survive that. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, their underlying stuff still looks good. And that's important. You know, fundamentally, I will not change my view of a team based on a 15 to 20 game sample of games where their underlying form is still elite and their results suck. Because their percentages go against them. Served me well earlier in the year when I was, you know, buying low on Oilers stock. <laughs> I'm, I'm confident that the LA Kings are fine. Yeah, right? I, I really am confident that the LA confident Kings are fine. that they're fine in terms of making the playoffs and giving whoever they play in round one a difficult six or seven game series, or fine as in they're a good Stanley Cup futures bet. Because I think those are two pretty different. Fines. I think they're a Stanley. I think they're a good Stanley Cup futures bet, especially at their depressed value, mm. right? Like right now, that's a that's a dip I'd be interested in because I think a rebound's inevitable, and I think this team's absolutely there in the same class as Vancouver, Edmonton, and Vegas. Yeah. Now, Edmonton and Vegas for me are slightly different in that I think Edmonton might be the best team in hockey. Yeah, and I think Vegas also might be the best team in hockey but they're not going to tell us whether or not they are until the playoffs and that's fine like we just have to analyze them a bit differently right i don't think they're trying to throw their fastball and that's completely understandable but you see them turn it up like against the rangers at home or when they came through vancouver in in late november and it's terrifying it's like oh right you're still the vegas golden Knights, right but they're just not playing that way consistently and i don't think that's i don't think that's anything to worry about yet but i think they're absolutely in the mix sort of in a tier below those two anyway. And, you know, I think what happens sometimes is you reach a point where it it might not be about your team's quality, and I don't think it is in LA's case. But the breaks continue for so long that they become self-fulfilling. Of course. and Well, you also, like, you... You you can't view it in a vacuum in terms of like not every game is its own entity because right. if you've played eleven games in a certain way, like you might change your habits to overcompensate, and then based on how it's going, and then it's almost like changing your like betting habits in a way where it's like I'm I'm due to do this one thing, but then you change it up and it's like totally. If you just stuck the course, you probably would have regressed. But if because you just you changed kept it, hitting Divincenzo threes <laughs> ladder, you'd be fine. Yes. Um. The <laughs> the. There's like two people that got that reference. I know. But they really liked it. Yeah. The overall thrust of it, though, is, you you know, and I think we're seeing the opposite with Vancouver, where things go your way and then you actually materially start to play better. The confidence changes your posture. It changes how it actually changes your underlying performance. And I think when you're in one of those spirals sometimes, 
like we saw with Woodcroft, who I think is a totally good coach, you you need to rip the bandaid off mm-hmm. just to give everyone After like start. yeah the the sense of a page turned. Yep. That said, one of the hardest tricks to pull off in hockey, as we know, mm-hmm. is jumping from the good tier where the Kings have been for a few years and getting to the great tier. Yep. And the Kings tried to do that with a deal that I liked for Pierre-Luc Dubois, cashing out players we all thought were good mm-hmm. to try and land a player that Consolidating. Yep. was great. Yep. Yeah, to do the thing that, I mean, the Avalanche tried to do it. V- Vegas is like the masters at it, right? Like Schmidt's cap hit goes out, Pietrangelo comes in, right? Yes, we're marginal not upgrades, but yeah. because you can only use a certain number of players. Suzuki and draft picks yep. for Pacioretty, no problem, right? A um, bunch of sick prospects for Mark Stone, Alex Tuck for Jack Eichel, fine. You yeah. know, like they've done it time and time again successfully, but it's a really hard trick to pull off. And in the Kings case, I think it's fair to look at it through 50 games and say they might have got it wrong in terms of the player they picked to prioritize over depth. And I'd add at least the Velarde piece yeah. of the depth player they gave away. I thought Velarde was a product of system and playing with great in terms of his like stunning two way play, you know, I I bought the shot, like I liked the player, but I didn't think he was like a top end defensive driver. Yeah. But he is. He is. Like I, I think he is. And I think the Kings ended up on the wrong side well, of that also, bat, just as I did. Also dominant around the net, both in terms of scoring but also making plays for others. His and one that's shot scoring exactly is exactly what this Kings team needs, right? Yeah, He's I almost know. essentially been pretty much entirely what they I think signed up for with Dubois thinking that's what he'd be for them. And so that irony in, involved in that transaction is tough to swallow. They are kind of buttering their own bread a little bit. Like Dubois Fiala, I don't know why they went away from it, but it's not like he's had high quality teammates. No, I mean he's he's been playing with Laferriere, Jared Allen, Anderson Dolan, Carl Grundstrom, Arthur Kaliev, and I think if you want to paint an optimistic view, it sounds like Victor Arvidsson will be back soon. Yeah, now. Help. He's 30 coming off of a second back surgery and he takes a ton of punishment as an undersized player. So I like it's a bit scary in that sense, but he's such a dynamic scorer and creator for them that I think that's certainly going to infuse them with that and maybe just throw a lifeline for PLD. Because you're right, like 20 points in 48 games is not what you paid 8.5 million for and the acquisition cost. The underlying metrics are good. I think his on-ice shooting percentage is under 6% at 5 on 5, right? <laughs> yeah. Like everyone is going to look bad in that scenario. And so I just, I also think though, he has not done himself any favors, certainly, right? Like just the visual of how lethargic and like unhappy he looks at times, especially when they're down and then like all the sniping post game and stuff, like none of that is going to do you any favors, especially when you're going through this losing streak and And maybe that's that snowballing thing. And especially with his history of Of like conducting normal business, but in the context of hockey in the most like like, dramatic way though no but but if he was an nfl running back or an nba small forward right no one would blink of course at like i want to choose but because no one ever does it in hockey except one guy matthew kachuk who then also is. but if you're gonna do that you have to follow it up with the results you do otherwise people are gonna make fun of you and that's what's happening and so I don't and think right. that feel would happen bad, in the right? NFL and yeah. the NBA too. Yeah. Okay. It's part of doing business, right? Like Fair. if you're going to call your shot and then follow through the way Matthew Kachuk did last year. Yeah. Then guess what? That then you're a hero. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe not for, for Calgary fans, but like, yeah. I think you can appreciate how badass it is in a sense. Yeah. Um, okay. You know what? You're right. 
I do think Dubois. I still, I still, I'm still holding. I'm no, still holding course. my Dubois stock. Of course, of course. But so this I think team... his playmaking will make them a tougher out in the playoffs. But there's no question the first 50 have been ugly. Here's what I want to point your attention to. And I've been talking about this trend for a while now. And I think you and I have specifically had a few conversations about it. And I think it only matters in terms of Stanley Cup contender, not like Dom has an 88% probability still to make the playoffs. They're clearly better than the Blues and the Predators and whatever. Well, that teams game are right before be. the All Star break where they just completely, like, they're in a different weight class than the Predators. No, they are. But like, uh, and that's not a concern for me right now, although I know like when you keep losing this many games and dropping down the standings, you start thinking about that. But I still have aspirations for them to be better than that, right? Oh, yeah. And so it's interesting because all the public models, Evolving Hockey, Money Puck, Natural Statric, have them as a top five team offensively in terms of expected goals generated. Yeah, that I don't agree with. Sport Logic has them 19th right. in expected goals offensively and 18th in slot shots. And this that more closely matches my viewing experience. It does. And this is the delineation between being a good team and meaningfully contending for a Stanley Cup. And they're like top three defensively still. So the bar they have to clear offensively is lower than it is for most teams. But but that's not clearing. You need to get to top ten. Yeah. Minimum. If you're gonna be a Stanley Cup contender, you do. At least top twelve. Now I do think though, like the the upside case, the bull case for the Kings would be Dubois struggled so much, and he's getting no favors from the quality of his teammate. Right. Between Arvidsson's return and if the Kings can add somebody, just a live body. Yep. Like a live body with top nine skill set at right. the deadline, you're going to see better from Dubois. And he's the guy. He His struggles are the difference between them being like 12th under in McClellan's system yep. and 19th. Right. And, and personally, I'd buy that. Now, I also think McClellan's system was pretty rigid. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I let me ask you a question. Jim Hiller, his replacement, right. the interim coach, should they have gone out and gotten a name here? Tom, you read my mind. Okay. They don't play till February 10th. Yeah. Their first game back is against the Edmonton Oilers. Yikes. Can I interest you in a little Jay Woodcroft? Oh, man. You can... I'll buy all the Jay Woodcroft stock that you have available. Who knows better at these deficiencies yeah. as a team and what stopped them from getting Advancing. to the second round yeah. than the guy who beat them the past two uh, years. We all need this for the storyline. Oh, like, so if good. they hired Woodcroft... I'm watching every single Kings game. Well, I mean, I probably will regardless because I'm And, and I guess we'd but. need Edmonton. So we'd need Vancouver to slip enough that Edmonton won the Pacific. Right. And then we could as see... As a wildcard team, yeah. And then we could see an Edmonton... LA rematch with Woodcroft on the other side. That would be amazing. Who doesn't want that? Yeah. Make it happen. No, I I think McClellan's a really good coach. I don't think he's going to be out for very long. I I think there's a lot of teams that could benefit um, from him. But yeah, I think, I mean, what do you think about the senators for him? I like that a lot. Like, I think that rigidity in terms of like actually bringing structure and, and, and like accountability to, go from bad to good and maybe not worry about good to great right now is important for them. I mean, it it is my concern. My concern there is, I mean, given the amount of high end prospects that the Kings have brought through, right there, just has there been enough growth under McClellan from the perspective of what you want to bring in next from a Senator's perspective. That's true for most coaches. No, I think most, maybe that's that, maybe that's an issue. And maybe 
that is a bigger conversation, but I don't know. That would, I'm just saying that I'm not, I don't even know if that's on McClellan. So right. uh, it might be on their drafting. It might be on any number of other things. It might be on the fact that they trade a lot of picks and prospects, but yeah, it's something that I would, it would give me pause in Steos issues. I mean, if they did that, you wouldn't even, from the Kings perspective, you wouldn't even have to wait till round one because they play the Oilers three more times in the regular season. So you're basically getting a playoff series, half a playoff series there. And they have four more games against the Canucks. So it makes sense. Like you don't want to panic, but also if you are ever going to make a move like this, this is the this exact is the time. time to do I just, so, certainly. I just, like, I just don't understand why they wouldn't have swung a little bigger. Well, I, I think they're, we'll see what they do, right? I know, but I, interim head coach gonna, for the rest of the season. Oh, it's was, for the rest of the season. Well, that's what the press release said oh, okay. today. Like, they were really, it was right, pointed. Right, right. Because I saw the Rob Blake, and, and this might become outdated by the time people listen, but I thought they're not, like, having a press conference until the 5th. Okay. Which strikes me as a bit. Strange. I know it's like the weekend and it's All Star weekend and all that. And they don't play till the tenth, so yeah. it's not pressing. And it's but it's also like we're going to talk about this coaching change three days from now. Yeah. Okay. So that's interesting. I mean, I think Rob Blake's a really bright guy. I think he's done a really good job. So we'll see. But I I, I can't understand. And maybe the Kings honestly are looking at this, thinking this isn't our team. Like this isn't the one that has a shot. But it's at some point Doughty and Kopitar. You know, you've done such heavy lifting to create a team with a shot around them. I It feels odd to me to sell this year short on the back of a 17-game stretch with 6% shooting yeah. and, and 890 goaltending. Like, th- this this feels to me like a big-name, you know, coaching swing. Whether, whether it's Woodcroft, whether it's, I don't know, I don't think Claude Julian's the solution, but something like that, yeah. you know? Okay. Do you want to talk a little bit? about Lindholm and the Canucks on sure. the way out here? I think it makes sense thematically. Yeah. Um, I love the deal for the Canucks. Yes. Yeah. I do think the Bruce Stevich thing is interesting too because that's, uh, you know, we talk about volatility. Mm. There's almost no more volatile asset than like super high scoring D plus one offensive defenseman. It's really hard to know whether you're going to get Ty Smith or, or Bockvist. Yeah, but or even Brant Clark in terms of the slow adjustment, or right. whether or not the guy's going to be a star, and so that's an interesting piece f- from my perspective for Calgary. Like, at least they got a first plus an asset that at least has a shot that if it hits is like a game changer in, in terms of of their build. So I thought they did okay, but well, I just love no, the fit for Vancouver. It's worth it's worthwhile certainly as an upside swing down the road. It is also what, a 19-year-old defenseman playing in the OHL? Like, realistically, that's going to be a player who we see playing full-time top four minutes if everything goes right, like, four years from now, right? Yeah, maybe. Which is not... Well, I, but, you know... That's not a negative. Like, Calgary has a lot of work to do here. If you're a player, matters, if you're a player, he should be able to push in a couple of years. And and if he's not a player, then he's not a player. And you're right, four it might be four years, but... sure. I think your swing is. I, I just don't have an issue. I don't. I don't really have an issue with a team in the Canucks position trading a player like that. No, no, no. Like, right? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. saying. I thought Calgary did yeah, fine. Of course. Yeah, um, I did as well. But I think the fit for Vancouver. Vancouver should have been all over that because there's a chance that you know there, there, he is a volatile asset. There's also you know the volatility goes both ways. There's a chance that it's a complete steal. Yeah. Um, but. You know what's interesting? So it's I, a significant price. I had our pal Rand Lambert on yesterday, and we broke down the trade, and we did like 50 minutes on it. So I yeah. don't want to rehash a lot of that stuff, but we also had a very spirited debate, I thought, and it was a fun one 
uh, about PDO and the Canucks because he kept referencing, obviously, like how inflated their shooting percentage is, right? And then I kept couching everything with like, yeah, but I think they're better than that, right? And so then we had this whole thing. He's like, you don't need to couch it. Like historically, teams like this always regress, and we had a full back and forth on it, right? And the only point that I wanted to make on that that I didn't at the time, just in thinking about it more, is I think when people cite a team's PDO as being high like this, but I think we generally agree, like if you watch this Canucks team play, especially their arc as the season's developed, mm. and like seeing clear improvements and also seeing legitimate thought put behind like the way they play as well right like it's not really happening by accident like i think they're certainly trying to implement and do things sure. that are yielding some results i think saying like what are they on pace for 119 points or something now right yeah. almost 120 saying well oh, they're lucky to be a 120 point team is not like the sage point that anyone saying think? that thinks it is well vegas because no team in the yeah. nhl in the salary cap era is a true talent 120 point team unless you're working serious cap shenanigans because think about it the start of the year every projection model like when dom pumps out his model 93 94 points but like top teams are like 105 106 107 vegas i think had new jersey and carolina as the top two teams this year and they were 107.5 yeah like you would never project a team to be a 120 point team because so many things can go wrong along the way like to get there you're a hundred ish point team that gets a bit lucky stays healthy, has a few things go right, and then all of a sudden you work your way into that elevated tier. And so I think that's just how hockey works, whether that's a good or bad thing. I think that's the reality of the situation. And the way we talk about it, I think, is just a bit off. It's kind of like power, like I brought up power plays, right? It's like, we want you to score, but if you're scoring a lot on the power play, then you're a power play merchant, and that's not as, as honorable. Right, right. So that doesn't count the same. And that's how we talk about teams with a high PDO. I'm of two minds here. Because I think the Canucks, especially over the last month, have trended toward being a real contender. Um, Vegas, however, as you note, doesn't move like we do. Vegas right. doesn't look at pace and think the Canucks are 120 points point team still. Like, you can go get their over-under at 109.5 right now. Right now. Minus 120, plus money on the under. Like, that, that's available to you right now yep. if you want to... If you want to put your money where your mouth is. If, exactly. Yep. So, you know, the, I'd be surprised if the Canucks get to 100... 20 um uh, 120 points like Mm -hmm. fact is is that they've had the easiest schedule to this point in the year yep and they're going to have the fifth toughest schedule the rest of the way um they've got multiple games against vegas multiple they haven't played winnipeg yet they've got four games against the kings like they've got a game left against edmonton i mean there's a lot of fun games like this is the thing i'm saying this isn't negative this is no awesome yeah like let's go yeah um the lindholm fit I like for them, I, you know, Dom's model upgraded them to a 112-point projection, so Dom also doesn't see them as a 120-point team, yeah. or his model doesn't yet. Um, Which no one reasonably but, should. But, but one thing, man, like, one of the, you know, like, um, false signals that I missed in evaluating this team, because I thought they were coming into the season as, you know, one of those 93 to 95-point fringe playoff teams, mm-hmm. right? And they're going to blast my expectations out of the window. And I've missed big on right. that. And and I hate that, obviously, but it's going to happen to everybody. It pains you every day. It pains me every day. Yeah. Just to have missed. Yes. Like, I'm, I'm happy for the team and their right. fans. But the the miss on my end, I've of been course. thinking a lot about. Anyway, the thing about this is they played 
like I remember they played Seattle twice in preseason and like buying into Sam Howell or Kenny Pickett if you did. Um, the preseason doesn't matter. I watch Seattle play their systematic game and trounce the Canucks. And it's just when I think back to those games, I remember buying in to the fact that Seattle thoughtfully had found a way to amplify their one-shot scorers, and I thought they'd stumbled onto something meaningful and that they'd be able to do it again this season, and shooting percentage regression came for them hard. They Mm. can't buy a goal. Yeah. The year prior, I know you and I both were buying the St. Louis Blues. Now, the St. Louis Blues are the large... Percent, uh, large sample shooting percentage kings. Yeah. But we believe that they'd found some thoughtful ways to exceed. Yep. And ultimately, like, they're still an efficient shooting team, but it's not nearly enough. Mm-hmm. There are things the Canucks are doing, traffic of the net, the way they play, that are help the, the amount of talent on their roster that are helping them shoot at this clip. It's not all a fluke. Yeah. But man, I have bought every time I buy, I lose. Yeah. And I can't ignore that either. Yeah. I just think for the purposes of evaluating the trade, like the distinction where if you think a team is that 93-point team, true talent, I don't you thought they were. No, but let's say you did. Yeah. And then they're actually, their PDO's high, and they're on like a 105-point pace or something, yeah. or, or low hundreds. And then they're trading firsts and getting crazy to try to win now, and you're like... You're a fringe playoff oh, team. Oh, I don't feel that way about I hate Canucks when team. teams do that because I'm like, I think you're getting fooled. No, no, no. This when, Canucks team should be going in. When you're a team who's clearly a team that's a 100-plus point team, and then you're getting lucky and you're like, obviously not a 120-point yep. team, but you're but playing at that league, level, yeah. then it's like, yeah, I do think this is a position for an organization that you should be going for, right? And so I think that's like differentiating between those two i think is kind of important here and obviously when a team's performing at this level you're not going to have a lot of rational conversation it's either you stink and you're lucky to be this good or we're we're never gonna we're never gonna lose again and in reality it's never that simple they've played well yeah they've played like a contender for a month given the age of their best players and some of the uncertainty on some of their best players i think this is a year to go for it they were right to make this purchase i like the price paid even though i think it's significant and i really like the fit but let me ask you a question. Does Lindholm need to at least hit, let's say, 50% of his upside case offensively mm-hmm. as a compliment to whether it's Pedersen or Miller or even Garland? Does he have to be more offensively than he has been this season for this deal of to course. be worth the price paid? He's playing at like a 15-goal pace so far I know. with a suppressed shooting percentage with inferior talent around him. I think that's yeah. part of the bet here. Yeah, Certainly, and right? I think we like that the bet that yeah. Lindholm can do more damage. Yes. Like he's a an established 30-goal scorer, score. even if he's not a 42-goal scorer like yeah. he once was, right? Like, But I do think there's some risk here to Vancouver and that yeah. he does need to hit at least, he needs to crest at least part of that offensive upside case. Doesn't have to be a 40-goal guy, but at least 25, I think, to justify the price paid, even though he'll help the Canucks in the circle on the penalty kill on the power play and add center depth. It's a calculated bet. I think we both like it. Tom, you're going to be on the road like a, like a roadie just following around oh. Lindholm during his first road trip, but you'll be back in time for the Super Bowl. Just for, in time for the Super Bowl. For our spread and our deranged very, very prop excited. bet. So looking forward to that. Thanks for having me, Bob. Uh, this was a blast. Thank you for answering the bat signal. This was a loaded episode to close out the week, so hopefully people enjoyed it. Uh, check out Tom's work. Listen to... Uh, Canucks talk and we'll have him back on soon thank you to everyone for listening have a great weekend and we'll be back on Monday with plenty more of the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network